Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. We've been in the book of Jeremiah throughout the weeks of Lent, and today we hear from Jeremiah chapter 34, verses 8 through 11. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, after King Jedekiah had made a covenant with all the people in Jerusalem to make a proclamation of liberty to them that all should set free their Hebrew slaves, male and female, so that no one should hold another Judean in slavery. And they obeyed. All the officials and all the people who had entered into the covenant, that all would set free their slaves, male or female, so that they would not be enslaved again. They obeyed and set them free. But afterward. They turned around and took back the male and female slaves they had set free and brought them again into subjection as slaves. So we've got two scriptures today. That's pretty unusual. We don't usually have two scripture readings. There's one Old Testament, one New. They are separated uh, by about 600 years. And, and then the Jesus story, the triumphal entry, uh, is separated from today by two centuries and some change. But with all of this passage of time, there just seem to be some things that just don't change at all. There is an enduring self-centeredness that I think we need to explore on this final Sunday of Lent. Today we're asking whether or not we are doomed to live forever inside the prison of our self-centeredness. We know, we know the life we are called to live with each other, right? We've been studying the teachings and the actions of the, the carpenter's son for long enough to know that the ethical center of our faith is to live for others first, not not to live for ourselves, but to live for others. The Rotary Club at least has the slogan right, service above self. But the only person we have ever seen live this out is the rabbi from Nazareth, Jesus. His teachings in the Galilee region caused this big stir because everything he was teaching was so upside down from every expectation of our ingrained self-interest. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. Give him your cloak also. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Who lives like this? It's certainly not our instinct. Right? If, if you put two toddlers on the floor and two identical toys, 
Which toy is the girl on the left going to want? Both of them, right? That's our instinct. The, the Jesus teaching goes against our nature. And not only did Jesus teach this other's first lesson, Jesus lived out the other first lesson, modeling this self-giving, fully alive humanity, looking for ways to bless, healing broken people, eating with outcast people. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus moves throughout the Galilee region teaching and blessing and giving and loving. And and all you have to do is watch this radical rabbi closely and, and you can start to see what the abundant life we were called to looks like. Study study his life closely and you'll see tormented people finding peace and, and blind people finding sight, directionless people finding purpose, excluded people finding a place at the table. And Jesus sets this example all the way through today's story and beyond in All the way through the final days of his earthly life, his whole ministry advancing with purpose toward Jerusalem. And then on Friday, on Friday, the defining act of unselfish living offered on our behalf. But look at the contrast between what Jesus has modeled for us and what these two stories we've read expose about how we have not outgrown our toddler self-centeredness. The the, the first story, the the story from Luke, just before that story, the disciples have been arguing about who's going to sit at the seat of power next to Jesus. You know, for the last 600 years, the Hebrew people have been waiting, yearning for the Messiah, the leader from the line of David who will come and establish a new kingdom. And so now the disciples are convinced that Jesus is this Messiah. And they spend their time arguing about who is going to be closest to the center, whose office is going to be closest to the Oval Office. And with all this buzz, there are others, of course, who start to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. The the word has spread throughout the region that the miracle worker from Galilee might just be the one. So when he does, on that day, enter into Jerusalem, the holy city, the crowds start coming, they start gathering, and they wave the palm branches in homage, and they lay their cloaks on the road. They praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen. This is our deliverer. He heals. We like healing. He will establish our people. He he will defeat our enemy. He will do what's in our best interest. 
Do you see the contrast? Jesus is modeling the coming kingdom of selfless love. And the people are hooping and hollering and shouting, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, because they think they will get what they want out of it. And just days later, when Jesus hangs in selfless sacrifice, the crowds are nowhere to be found. Is it any doubt that Jesus weeps for Jerusalem saying, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace. So we've got Jesus, the prophet who weeps over Jerusalem. It triggers a recent memory, doesn't it? It it triggers our Jeremiah memory because we've been in Jeremiah all through Lent and Jesus crying over the selfishness of Jerusalem might remind us of an earlier prophet who also cried over the selfishness of Jerusalem. Throughout the book of Jeremiah, the prophet's been declaring that Jerusalem is going to be thrown by the army of Babylon because the people were so much more into their own selfishness than they were the covenant promise. Over and over and over, they chose their selfishness. And so today, in in our second story, our Jeremiah passage, we have another classic example of our bent toward living for our own self-interest. It is the year of Jubilee. You remember from the book of Leviticus that every 50 years it is the year of Jubilee. The year when unpaid debts are forgiven, slaves are set free. It's a year of cleansing and release and liberation. It's, It's a long sacred Hebrew practice. And because it's the year of Jubilee, Jeremiah goes to the king To tell him, it's time, make the proclamation. So the king makes the proclamation that all should be set free. All the Hebrew slaves set free, male and female. No one should hold another Judean in slavery. And the people did as they were instructed. All the slaves, unshackled, set free. The Hebrew slaves, male and female, they're all liberated, thanks be to God. But then it settles on the people. The people who have power. How will this affect me? So what if other people get set free? I might have fewer crops, lesser income, declining status. I mean, so what if the peons suffer? My stock portfolio could suffer. What could be worse than that? And verse 11 says, But afterward they turned around and took back the male and female slaves they had set free. 
and brought them again into subjection as slaves. Here is one principle that you can count on. Anytime somebody gets set free, it costs somebody else a portion of their power. Well, in this story, innate selfishness wins again. Is it any wonder that both Jesus and Jeremiah weep for a selfish Jerusalem? There may be no better synonym for sin than selfishness. I'm not sure I can think of any sin that's not at its root an act of selfishness. But selfishness, just on its own, it, it, it's, well, it's just so baked into our cultural expectation that we seldom identify most of our selfishness as anything but normal, much less a sin. I mean, there are flagrant cases of self-interest, but, but I'm just suggesting that we bathe in it so often that we don't even recognize how self-centered we are. It's just become the regular course of our coming and going. We, we've even found a way to baptize some of our selfishness if we include it in the form of a prayer. God grant that our picnic on Saturday will be sunny. That my son will get that interview. That I will land that account. And that the Braves will win the pennant. And seldom do we recognize that all of those prayers that I just gave as examples mean something bad happens for somebody else if they come true. The farmer might need rain on Saturday. If if my son gets the interview, then somebody else's son doesn't. If, If I land the account, it's at somebody else's loss. If the Braves win the pennant, it means the Dodgers didn't, which is as it should be. But, But I'm just asking. Does some of this constant self-interest need our reflection during Lent? Is self-centeredness so normalized that we don't even notice it anymore? The prophet Jeremiah tells the king, set free, it's time to set free all the Hebrew slaves. They did what they were instructed to do. But then they asked, how is this going to affect me? And they took them back, put their chains back on them, and put them back to work. Have we really changed that much since Jesus taught and showed us a different way? I wondered what our instincts, what it would look like 
if our instincts were redeemed. I, I was sitting around this week trying to think of examples of what it might look like if instead of selfish instincts, we had a kind of trained way of, of a first instinct that cared first about the well-being of others. And the story that came to mind for me, well, it's a 39-year-old story, first of all, but it is a baseball story, and since today this is not only Holy Week, but the first week of Major League Baseball, I thought y'all would forgive me for reaching back 39 years for a story. It was August the 8th, 1982. Bottom of the fourth, Red Sox second baseman Dave Stapleton hits a line drive foul just over uh, the the dugout on the first baseline. The foul hits four-year-old Jonathan Keene in the head, and he drops. He falls immediately. He is out, and he is bleeding badly. That's when future Hall of Famer Jim Rice has unselfish instincts kick in. Completely focused on somebody other than himself, he runs out of the dugout, grabs the limp boy up in his arms, and takes off through the clubhouse to the trainer's room with this boy lying limp in his arms. The trainer has already seen what's going on, has already called the ambulance. By the time Jim Rice gets there with this boy in his arms, the ambulance has arrived. Within three minutes of the ball hitting the boy, Jim Rice has laid this child now into the back of the ambulance. Within 30 minutes of the ball hitting the boy, he is in the surgery pre-op area awaiting neurosurgery that will hopefully save his life. Well, it turns out that Jim Rice probably did save his life. Jonathan's now in his 40s. He has no recollection of that day at all. He has now only a small scar of the remembrance. Jim Rice goes back into the game with a blood-stained uniform, finishes the game, and then goes to the hospital. Some people have developed instincts that focus first on what's best for others. And there's nothing natural about it. But it is at the center of the Jesus way. Jesus, who helped tormented people find peace and blind people find sight, and directionless people find purpose, and excluded people find place. I have wondered, how much time would it take in prayer for God to redeem my selfishness into something beautiful and noble into instincts that think first for other people before asking, how will it affect me? The upside-down Jesus model of selfless love would be a beautiful thing to aspire to for those of us who call him Lord. Don't you think?
Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.